Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci Advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice. We, based on the mechanism of action that we do not target rash directly, we target the next effector protein, the interaction between rash and that effector protein. It doesn't matter what the mutation in rash is. And now, based on the data we presented at ESMO, we have responses in these refractory patients, including a complete response. And very importantly, we have responses in a variety of KRAS mutations because the mechanism of action is agnostic to what that mutation would be. Hello, my name is Neil Canavan, and this is Benchtop Bios, a podcast series by LifeSite Partners where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Fruckman. He is the president and CEO of Onkonova Therapeutics. Doctor, welcome to Benchtop Bios. Thank you, Neil, for having me. All right, doctor, let's start off with the general before we get to the specifics. Give me the elevator pitch for Onkonova. Well, we're a small biotech company who's on a mission to bring new medical entities to patients who have end-stage cancers. We are currently studying a variety of cancers, which I will discuss during this session, and we are very excited about our encouraging results that we are seeing. All right. We're going to get to those encouraging results and related development program in just a few minutes, but in keeping with our mission here today at Benchtop Bios, let's get to know a bit about the guy in charge. That would be you, sir. And I'm going to go right to the origin story. Sir, I can guess based on your accent, but I'll just go ahead and ask, where were you born, sir? So I was born on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, where all immigrants after World War II tended to congregate. So I am first-born American. My parents are non-English-speaking folks. My older sister was also born aboard. Abroad, I'm first-born here and grew up in the wilds of Brooklyn, New York. Oh, wow. We can talk about Brooklyn in a minute. I just moved, but I got to ask. Lower East Side, have you ever been to the Tenement Museum? I actually grew up two blocks from the Tenement Museum. I have been there, but it was the same place that I grew up in, so I'm very well acquainted with tenements, so that's where I grew up. <laughs> so the museum was nothing new to you? <laughs> no, and when I say we moved up to Coney Island, Brooklyn, to show you the kind of background I had, that was considered a move up. From oh, wow. the side of Manhattan. Wow, wow, cool. All right, so doctor, tell me a little bit more about this kid. I mean, was being a doctor your earliest dream? Was there one of several? Did mom have a part in this? Being a doctor was not my dream. I actually went to a specialized high school in uh, New York City in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Tech. Sure. I was one of the specialized high schools. That school really opened up doors for me. I actually wanted to be an aeronautical engineer and an astronaut. 
I was also an athlete. So I went on to play football at Cornell. My claim to fame, no matter what you think about the science, is I don't know if everybody knows who this is, but I was actually interviewed by the famous Marty Glickman, who was oh. Marv Albert's mentor, a sports, yeah, sports yeah, yeah. who did all the Giants and the Knicks. He interviewed me in the New York City High School Game of the Week. And then I went to have a very less prestigious career at Cornell, but I did play football there. <laughs> I got interested in medicine when I was first introduced to biology at Cornell and shifted from aeronautical engineering and being an astronaut because I hated physics and I had to wear thick glasses. So I didn't know you can't be an astronaut in that area. Oh, no. See, so I switched to biology and that's how I got addicted to medicine. All right. Well, the medical world is thankful for your thick glasses. You did go on and get your, your sheepskin, as they say, at New York Medical College Upstate. Uh, this is class of 77. And then you went on to have a very nice career. You were at faculty on, on Mount Sinai School of Medicine here uptown New York, and as well as director of the stem cell transplant program at Mount Sinai. So you achieved this prestigious position, one of the country's best cancer hospitals. I just got to, let's be simple. Do you remember the first time someone called a doctor? Well, I didn't get more into the football story. I imagine it was my mother <laughs> when I was being recruited to play football at various universities. What I do remember is the Columbia coach and the star of the football team at Columbia coming to my ancestral home in Coney Island, Brooklyn, to try to recruit me. And I just was a kid. I sat there and they were giving a pitch to my mother. And her conclusion was, to quote her, football schmutball. Who cares? <laughs> He's going to be a doctor. <laughs> That's why I didn't go to Columbia, actually, and pick Cornell. I was too embarrassed. <laughs> All right. So you went on to be a doctor. Congratulations. But in the early 2000s, you left to work for Orthobiotech and J&J. And then you put in a couple of years at Novartis. It seems like you had such a good gig at Mount Sinai. I assume you worked pretty hard to do it. Why leave the bedside, sir? That's a great question. It was a very painful decision that I had to make. I love clinical medicine. I ran a transplant program probably for 20 years. That's a tough gig in that era, tragically, even though we yeah. were helping people with transplant. Many of those patients were extremely sick and ultimately died. So I was looking for a different gig. We did establish a center of excellence at Mount Sinai in myeloproliferative neoplasms. But at about the same time, a former student of mine who knew I was being recruited to different academic programs around the country basically said I should come talk to him. He'd like to talk to me about joining J&J. &J. I went out there. He was a very seductive man and my former student who I loved and he loved me. He basically made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I said, are you kidding? And he goes, no, Steve, we're not kidding. We really want you to join us. And the changes in medicine at that time was also painful. We needed insurance approvals for everything. For a patient with leukemia to get a transplant, I needed an approval from an insurance company physician who may have been a psychiatrist who knows nothing about leukemia. So I was starting to get frustrating with the tragic changes in healthcare that continues, the talk about quality healthcare was going away. It was what I'll call quantity healthcare run by the insurance companies. This is not a purpose of this session, not to get political, but it really 
made it very difficult to practice the way I loved practicing and taking care of patients because all of a sudden there's another person in the room and that was called the insurance company dictating healthcare. All right. So after a couple of very large companies, you started to go to smaller companies, one called Allos Therapeutics. You were VP of clinical development there. You served time as CMO at Spectrum Pharma. You served as CMO at Syndex. I've heard of all these companies. Syndex just presented at ASH. 2015 comes Oconova, the CMO, and then finally CEO in 2019. I'll be polite here, sir, and just say you've been around. Why <laughs> Oconova? You must have had a lot of other opportunities. Well, I have been around because I'm not a youngster. And each one of those opportunities, there's a reason for it. Actually, the first time I became the CMO was at Allos, again, reporting to a student of mine. When I joined J&J, I was reporting to a former student. Wow. At Allos, I was reporting to a former student. I say that because I'm very proud of the students that I've trained who remain in either academic medicine or join the industry in prominent positions. I've always been interested in bone marrow diseases. That's why I ran the bone marrow transplant program at Sinai. Ankenova at that time, rightly or wrongly, was studying a disease called myelodysplastic syndrome, which is a disease of the bone marrow. Yeah, yeah. used to be known as pre-leukemia, which is easier to understand than MDS. And they had a program studying MDS. I was interested in bone marrow diseases, so a lot of things were aligned. I did look at their pipeline and thought it was of interest, and that's why I made the transition to join Ankenova. All right, so we're all glad that you did. And now I want to move on to their assets. There's two I'd like to highlight today, both not surprisingly oncology drugs. The first drug is called Narazet something. Help me out. What's it called? So it's called Narazacyclin for the sake of this discussion. Let's call it NARA, but the God name Narazacyclin. All right, NARA, thank you. This is an oral small molecule inhibitor of the CD4, CD6 uh, axis in the cell cycle meaning it's involved in cell proliferation in both healthy and cancerous tissues, but it is overexpressed in cancer. This drug is being evaluated in an ongoing phase one trial in solid tumors, looking at two different dosing schedules, uh, as well as a planned phase two investigation of NARA in combination with letrozole in the second or third line setting of endometrial cancer. This trial was slated to kick off in 2023. Now, the question I have here is not the target or even necessarily the setting, but the competitors, there's any number of CD4-6s out there in the world. How is NARA going to be a better mousetrap, sir? It's interesting that you use the word mousetrap because we've studied NARA in mice. Ah. <laughs> we postulated, so even though all of these drugs target CDK4 and 6, as you mentioned, they target other kinases as well. It is believed that the CDK6 pathway, for instance, may be involved in bone marrow proliferation, probably other kinases as well. The bone marrow is our most rapidly proliferating cell population. These drugs cause neutropenia, a low white count. All of the FDA-approved drugs do that. Theoretically, we believe that we may cause less neutropenia. Obviously, neutropenia in patients, let's say with breast cancer, because the only approved indication for all CDK4-6 inhibitors currently is in hormone receptor positive HER2-negative breast cancer. 
There's no need to give a woman or a man with metastatic breast cancer neutropenia. That's one of the adverse events of all of these drugs. In mice, when we did a head-to-head comparison against one of the most commonly prescribed CDK4-6 inhibitors, we caused significantly less neutropenia in the mouse model when compared to palbocycline. We are now already in the clinic in a phase one study. And as we dose escalate, we are seeing some decrease in the white cell, which tells us we're engaging the target. But the degree of the neutropenia is in no way presenting a safety problem for these patients. So we hope to be safer than the CDK4-6 inhibitors currently approved. In addition, I mentioned we don't just target CDK4 and 6. We are a multi-kinase inhibitor. We target other tyrosine kinases as well, much more potently. For instance, CSF1R and or ARC5. Those two tyrosine kinases, we target them much more potently than the approved CDK4-6 inhibitors. Tragically, all patients treated with a CDK4-6 inhibitor will progress. Great research is going on. Why do the patients who initially may respond, although some never respond, but even the ones who do respond will progress? The breast cancer will progress. Why? So there's a number of additional kinases which are involved in the resistant mechanisms for patients given the approved CDK4-6 inhibitors, and norazocyclic targets those pathways leading to resistance. Again, in preclinical models, breast cancer cells that are refractory to palbocyclin, where the cancer will continue to proliferate, norazocyclin can prevent those refractory breast cancer cells from proliferating. So once our clinical trials develop, not only do we help to be safer than the approved drugs, but in addition have greater efficacy and hopefully can help women and men, but most of these patients are obviously women because they're approved in breast cancer, we hope to be able to help women who are refractory to these approved drugs. Uh, You mentioned breast cancer. I know the end game there is often brain nets. Do you cross the blood-brain barrier with this molecule? That's a great question, Neil. So patients with breast cancer do not die of localized breast cancer. Hmm. In fact, why a breast cancer cell leaves the breast and goes to the brain, the lung, the liver, is really unknown. One of the theories is ARC5 may be involved. Okay. That for that breast cancer cell to leave the breast, enter the circulation, circulate throughout the body, and then take up a new residence in a normal organ like the brain, there is data that we have that ARC5 is involved how cell breast cancer, actually triple negative breast cancer cells, migrate. We hope by targeting ARC5, which neurazocycle does potently, to interfere with the migration of breast cancer cells. But in addition, neurazocycle does in a preclinical chimpanzee model that it gets through the blood-brain barrier of a chimpanzee it is believed that the chimp blood-brain barrier is most like the human blood-brain barrier, and that's why chimps are studied with neurazocycline, and it does to some degree. 
penetrate the chimp's blood-brain barrier. We hope to prove that in the human model as well, hopefully to interfere with the setup for reasons involving ARC5 and also crossing the blood-brain barrier of protecting the brain against metastatic disease, in addition to other sites as well. I want to elaborate just for a moment. You also mentioned this, the CSF1R. The reason one might want to target that is this is a molecule that recruits TAMs, uh, tumor-associated macrophages, and these are tumor-promoting cells. So yeah, if you can hit those targets, this is very helpful. And now for the investors who had a little trouble following that, I encourage you to go to the Yonkinova website where these mechanisms are very clearly delineated. Now, just briefly to wrap up on that, for your phase two, how many patients are you looking to enroll and when might we expect a readout? So the phase two trial will be, at first we'll do a phase one, gradually increasing doses in the RASA cycle with letrozole, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Once we have the optimal combination of the two drugs, then we'll begin a randomized trial, most likely the combination versus the standard of care, which could be single agent letrozole. A trial of that sort, we probably would need 400 patients, maybe 200 per arm, or we might do a two-to-one randomization. So every two patients go on doublet, the control arm, we get a single patient, because mm-hmm. uh, more patients may be interested in going on the combination experimental arm versus single agent. All those aspects of the registration trial will be determined and will be publicized once the, the protocol is finalized. Got it. Got it. All right, let's move on to the next agent in your pipeline. This is Rigosertib, a lot easier to pronounce. This is a small molecule inhibitor that has something of an additional to a mechanism that is known, which is RAS inhibition. Doctor, without getting too wonky, could you give me the mechanism there? That's a great question. Rigosertib is a fascinating drug. As published in the Journal of Cell, we down-modulate the mutated RAS pathway. RAS is the most commonly mutated pathway in cancer. Mm -hmm. Once RAS mutates, the final product, protein product of that pathway is ERK, P-ERK. When RAS is mutated, ERK is constantly made. It's actually ERK that causes cancer cells to proliferate. Regocertin inserts itself in the effective protein, something like RAF, R-A-F, or pololycinase 1, because proteins like those, and there are others, have what's called a RAS binding domain. Rigosertib inserts itself into the RAS binding domain, which prevents RAS, RAS, from interacting with effective protein, for instance, RAF, RAF. And when that, when Rigosertib is present in the system, much less ERK is made, which prevents cancer cells from proliferating. In addition, RAS is very involved in immune surveillance. So in the presence of the RAS protein, for instance, T lymphocytes may have have a problem noting cancer cells in the host. So RAS interferes with T cell activation or TAMs and therefore prevents host T cells from attacking the tumor. Regocertin has the ability to cause new antigens to be expressed on cancer cells like melanoma. And the new antigen, it's been shown to be actually CD40, out of work from Vanderbilt, 
that the new antigen now attracts the T cell because that new antigen shouldn't be on the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. The T cell sees that it's foreign, and that T cell can now attack the cancer cell, especially in the presence of checkpoint inhibitors that also promote those T cells from attacking the cancer cell. And so vigosertib has a number of very interesting mechanisms of action. Okay, I think you fleshed out very nicely the three trials that you are running with this drug because you're looking to combine them with checkpoints. So if you could go ahead and just top line those three trials that you're running. Sure. So two of the three trials are actively up and running. Talk about the KRAS mutated non-small cell lung cancer trial first. Mm -hmm. So about 40% or so of patients with lung cancer have a mutation of RAS. The standard of care is Keytruder or Keytruder plus chemotherapy. We've conducted a trial for patients who have failed. 80% of the patients have failed at least three lines of therapy. 100% of the patients have failed Keytruder. There's no other therapeutic options once that failure occurs. And we've studied now the combination of regosertib plus nivolumab in refractory KRAS mutated non-small cell lung cancer. What this trial has successfully shown is that the mechanism of action that I just discussed, it doesn't matter what the KRAS mutation is. For instance, I was going to ask Amgen, you that. Yeah, yeah. Has a, the first anti-RAS drug approved sort of RASIP from Amgen, but that targets only the G12C mutation. Right, right. But if you have another mutation of KRAS, G12D, G12V, and there are many others, sort of RASIP does not work. We, based on the mechanism of action, that we do not target RAS directly. We target the next effector protein, the interaction between RAS and that effector protein. It doesn't matter what the mutation in RAS is. And now, based on the data we presented at ESMO, we have responses in these refractory patients, including a complete response. And very importantly, we have responses in a variety of KRAS mutations because the mechanism of action is agnostic to what that mutation would be. This trial is continuing to accrue patients. As I mentioned, we presented the data at ESMO. And as the data matures, I am sure we will present this very exciting and encouraging data at another upcoming medical meeting. The second trial is actually with single-agent regosertum. We are studying an ultra-rare disease, a tragic disease, called RDEB, R-D-E-B, a shortcut for recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa, RDEB. These patients are born lacking a gene that makes collagen 7. Collagen 7 is a protein that binds our skin cells to the underlying dermis. So if you don't have collagen 7, you desquamate your skin. You basically lose the outer lining of your skin like a burn patient. So these are very tragic patients that have recurrent infections because they don't have the skin protecting them. But because of the chronic irritation of losing their skin, growing new skin, they also very frequently develop squamous cell carcinoma of the skin. Uh, Of course. Squamous cell carcinoma in this setting has been shown by Dr. Andrew South at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia 
is driven by polo-like kinase 1. I mentioned polo-like kinase 1 protein has a RAS binding domain. Therefore, regocertive targets it very potently. So we've begun a trial. Again, this data has been presented in this ultra-rare indication of RDEB complicated by squamous cell carcinoma. The rarity of the condition is 100 new patients in the U.S. per year. So it's very rare. Mm-hmm. We have presented data on our first patient with metastatic squamous cell in a young woman. I think she was 22 years old. Failed every other therapeutic approach. The squamous cell metastasized. Based on the understanding that I shared with the audience, we treated this patient with intravenous single-agent regocertive. The patient went into a complete remission. All sites of squamous cell on the skin and metastatic sites have resolved. The patient, a year and a half later, remains on IV regocertive and remains in complete remission. We are actively looking for additional patients because of the ultra-rare nature of this disease. They are hard to find. We believe most recently we have a number of patients that have been presented to their physicians with squamous cell complicating our DEB, and we anticipate adding additional patients to this trial as soon as possible. All right, and we have one more. The third trial has not begun yet. This is a trial in refractory malignant melanoma. Again, there are many different kinds of mutations in Melanoma, one of the more common ones is BRAF. Because we downregulate that pathway, regocertive would be of interest in studying this disease. In addition, I mentioned the CD40 uh, neoantigen. That study was actually preclinically done with malignant melanocytes. So therefore, it makes perfect sense to put it into the clinic. The standard of care is Keytruda. And this study will be a combination of Keytruda plus regocertive in patients with metastatic malignant melanoma. Just point out to listeners, the three trials, these are investigator-sponsored trials. Of the two trials that use the anti-PD-1 inhibitors, they use different inhibitors, one Pembro, one Nevo, and that's because some scientists prefer one over the other, Coke, Pepsi, but that's the reason the two different agents are being used. Now, of the three, which has the nearest term readout? It's always difficult to know with certainty. It's a guess. Mm-hmm. I believe if we have another small number of RDEB patients because of the tragic nature of that disease and the tremendous unmet medical need and the rarity of the condition, if we have additional CRs, complete responses in this tragic disease, I think that may be our most rapid path to approval for regocertive. All right. Now, we've not touched about the origin of these assets. Could you please briefly mention where did you get them and where's the IP? So both of these assets were developed by Onkonova scientists. Okay. So they were both developed internally. And of course, Onkonova has the IP rights to both drugs. All right. And now we have to ask two more questions. Both have to do with money and investors. Sir, what is your current runway? So we publicly have stated we have approximately $40 million in the bank. Our spend is about 4 to $5 million per quarter. Based on the studies I presented to you today, we anticipate having 
uh, sufficient funding. We were very lucky before the difficulties in raising money in the biotech sector was created. We did a very important raise, which have given us sufficient funds to do the studies we were discussing today. All right. And I want to also point out to listeners, we are recording on the third night of Hanukkah. So JP Morgan is coming up soon. My final question is, do you have a specific mission for conversations at JP Morgan or just to keep investors abreast of what you're doing, maybe see some new faces? I think all of those. But what we've not mentioned, because we are well-funded, we would like to in-license an additional compound. Ah, okay. So we have two exciting drugs, but getting approvals in hematology, oncology is a very difficult process. The more shots on gold you have, the more likely you are to be successful. The management team at Onkanova probably have up to 12 drug approvals under our belt in hematology oncology. We are looking at excellent science. Many companies now are having trouble funding their studies. They have great science, but no money to put into the requirement to perform clinical trials. We have resources. So we are looking to in-license something of interest, and we'll be looking at J.P. Morgan for that asset as well. Are you modality agnostic? Could it be small molecule, antibody, ADC? or? I think we probably would stay away from cell therapy. Okay. That's a very complex nature. We'll leave that to the big biotech folk. So I think we would be most interested in small molecules or antibodies. Splendid. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. My guest today has been Dr. Stephen Fruckman. He is the president and CEO of Onkonova Therapeutics. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Now, thanking you for letting us introduce the science at Onkonova to your investors. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of Lifesize Benchtop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to ncanavan at lifesciadvisors.com. Until next week then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.